On this episode of Missing the Point, we break down the AFC and NFC Championship games from this past weekend. With Tom Brady advancing to his 10th Super Bowl appearance in his career as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. We'll also break down the AFC Championship as Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs move on to their second straight Super Bowl after defeating the Buffalo Bills. But first, some housekeeping. Missing the Point is a one-hour podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, www.mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show, consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to rate the show and leave a review for a chance to win a free Missing the Point t-shirt. Be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. And now, this is Missing the Point, episode 36. But it's all relative. Welcome into Missing the Point. I'm your host, Joe Malkin, and joining me today, the man who is most known in his life for leading horses to water and making them drink without actually drinking the water himself, it's Mike Marcangelo. And I also have the man who no one will leave alone about the Conor McGregor fight, but me, until now, DK Sizzle, Dave Clark, and of course, we have the best EP that we could find on the street, Craig D'Alessandro. It's a good thing I've, we've all known him for so long, or he probably wouldn't be doing this because we know he doesn't like any of us. Guys, we have a lot to talk about tonight, and it's uh, mostly football. Why? Uh, because the AFC and NFC championships uh, were this past Sunday, and the Super Bowl is in less than two weeks. So let's get right into it, and let's talk about the NFC championship game between the Buccaneers and the Packers. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are in the playoffs for the first time since 2007 beat the Packers 31 to 26. And the first question I want to ask, and and I'm going to ask it to Mike is do the Packers ever have control of this game? They couldn't score off turnover seven points off of three interceptions and 67 total rushing yards, but statistically across the board, their numbers could be, were arguably better than Tampa's. What say you? Well, I say that Green Bay never had control of this game. This this game was always controlled by Tom Brady and the Buccaneer defense, mo- mostly the Buccaneer defense, just so that we don't start another discord or undiscord <laughs> war here. But in reality, it was, what, 21-10 going into halftime? So I think the Buccaneers just had a, a very good plan on how to beat Green Bay. They did it already earlier this year, right? It was 38-10. to I think had the Buccaneers played as well as they did in that game, this game on offense and defense, it would have been a blowout. But for me, yeah, I just, I mean, you guys all know I don't have any faith in Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I actually predicted he was going to go 6-10 and 10 this year. So I literally will never bet on him. I will bet on him to lose. And that's exactly what he did in, in my and opinion. He, but he did, though. Like, the, th- the thing is, as much as we beat you with that stick of that bad Packers prediction for the entire season, and as much as he had a great statistical year, you did stick to your guns on the idea that Aaron Rodgers isn't a winner. And what was nice is that he created essentially a meme for us of him not 
rushing the ball when he had all that open field and like trying to force a throw that proved your point. Exactly. And I going into my predictions were so bad over the weekend, <clears throat> as Joe pointed out, c- considering the Conor McGregor uh, fight was <laughs> didn't go the way I wanted it to. So I actually intentionally picked the Packers because I've been, I've had such bad picks for the entirety of the playoffs. I was like, Oh, let me just try to jinx reverse jinx or jinx the Packers. But I didn't need to because you were totally right. Aaron Rodgers is equal in NFC championship games with Tom Brady now. And Tom Brady just got to the party. Yeah, he's just not that dude. And you were 100% right about that. Yeah, you may, maybe not the regular season record, but like at least you had that. But so on the topic of Brady and Rodgers, did, who had a better day? Granted, Tom Brady won. Who had a better day? I'll tell you who had a better day. Tom Brady did, but he shouldn't have because... The entire narrative now, which part of it's fair because like, look, he is the greatest quarterback of all time. He's gone to all these Super Bowls. He's won the most. It's that's all great. But that the narrative immediately became that on every social media platform and every television show about the the NFC championship game. But he he almost blew the game. If anybody was going to throw the game, he was it was going to be him. They were cruising coming into the second half and he threw two bad picks sandwiched on either side of an Aaron Rodgers touchdown drive when he was starting to get some momentum. And I think if it wasn't, if it was anybody else, if it was like a younger Ben Roethlisberger, or if it was, if he had to play like that, even against Drew Brees, or I'll tell you, it's going to happen against Patrick Mahomes. If he tries to pull that shit, then he gets punished for it. And he got real, real lucky that his defense was able to bail him out. And I think he had the better day because he had like a nice day because <laughs> he won the game and like people were being really nice to him afterwards. But I think if anybody was like, he had a statistically worse day than Aaron Rodgers. So in the Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers debate, he loses that, but he still won the game and he gets all the credit for it. Cause he's fucking Tom Brady. So like good for him, I guess. For, for me, I think statistically Aaron Rodgers had a better game, but in reality, Tom Brady actually had a better game. And there are a couple of reasons this why I'm going to say that. Okay, so he did throw three terrible interceptions in the second half, right? That happened. But what's always just kind of not talked about is they were up 28 to 10 at that point. So worst case scenario, all of those turn into points and they're down by three, right? So it wouldn't have been, it, it, it would not have been a huge momentum swing. Momentum is oh, so oh, important in football, yeah. though. Not, Especially not when Aaron, in the playoffs. Not, not when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback, dude. Yeah, you can say that in retrospect, but... When, when was the last time he came back from, from a deficit in a playoff game? He can't my do point it. Is, my point is any other quarterback would have been absolutely pasted for, for trying to give the game away like that in the second half, and he wasn't because he's Tom and, Brady. And the second reason why I think that he had a better game is what you brought up before, Dave, is because, okay, so if we just think about this, right? There was, what, there was three seconds left in the half, and Brady takes his shot for, for a touchdown. Dying, right? absolute dime. It throws a perfect ball. Aaron Rodgers who's known pretty well for his mobility, has third and nine on the nine-yard line and a wide open field in front of him and did not put the game in his hands. So for me, I think, yeah, statistically Brady was uh, inferior to Rodgers. But at the end of the day, when it mattered, when it real, when it was nut-cutting time, Brady wanted the ball and he made all, all the decisions that he needed to make. And I'd rather – I think for any – I think all of us here, we'd rather lose – with a quarterback with the ball in his hand, doing what he thought was right to win the game, as opposed to just doing what the, what, whatever the, whatever the play call was. At the game, like if you're betting odds on the game before you go in, you can make an argument for betting Packers versus Bucks. But if somebody had told you 
we're actually you're actually betting on who's going to deliver in the big moments. And if you had a thought about it like that, you bet Tom Brady 100 percent of the time. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Like you can, and I, that wasn't Tom Brady's only big moment. Like he started off the game with a couple of really nice drives too. And like I think that you're right. Aaron Rodgers is the worst elite quarterback to be put in a situation where he gets punched in the mouth early. I think they knew that. I think that they did that to him, and it wasn't him. It, like you said, it, he doesn't come back in games like that. He's not that dog. He, it wasn't him coming back. I is my original point. It was Tom Brady trying to throw the game away. So like, and everyone's given the Buccaneers defense the credit though. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's fair enough too. Like Aaron Rodgers isn't that dude that's going to crawl back, but that Bucks defense is like hard to score on too. If Brady throws his three picks when it's 10, 10, he didn't do that. Like he threw them after he had an 18 point lead. So it's, it's a little bit different. They were bad throws. I mean, his stat line looked like a James Winston stat line, ironically. <laughs> so it's like, like three and three. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, couldn't they have just done this with James? It's like, no. So I see what you're saying. The intangibles matter. Like the moments, the Tom Brady moments, of course they matter. Cause you can sit there and talk about stats all day. When you watch the game, you realize that Tom Brady's their quarterback and there's a reason why they're going to the Super Bowl. I think there's another quarterback that's going to be the reason why they don't win it though. So we'll get to that. We can get to that on Sunday in the live show, which will be our two-hour preview show of the Super Bowl. So we can plug that right now. So on Facebook, uh, li- on Facebook Live, we'll be on our uh, Facebook page. Missing the points is the uh, name of the Facebook page. We'll be on there for a two-hour Super Bowl preview show, which is going to be an absolute blast. So I only want to talk about the halftime show. Is that okay? Yeah, we can do that. What I was going to say was, Mike, if Jimmy McGinty was his head coach, Aaron Rodgers definitely would have run that ball in. There's like the fourth replacements joke of the day. One of my big things, and and Dave, you kind of alluded to it, and one of my big things that leads to my feelings towards Tom Brady in his career and how he's treated, like Dave said, any other quarterback would be ripped for that line, but because it's Tom Brady. That's part of the problem that I have is that with how he's been treated is that he can do no wrong. There, there have been so many times sitting in the stands, Tom Brady will overthrow a receiver by 10 yards. It's six feet above the receiver's head, and it's out of bounds. And people in the stands are calling for the receiver's head and wondering why he didn't catch it. This is one of the biggest things I problems I have with the Tom Brady isms and the Brady fans of the world. But to throw my two cents in Tom Brady definitely had the better day because of how the game went. And Mike, the moment he threw that pass to Scotty Miller in the end zone with eight seconds left on the clock in the second quarter, and they, they flash over to Ryan Suckup, right? The, the Buccaneers kicker. And it, you can kind of see it on his face like, wow, I'm not going to get an opportunity here. And then Brady drops a dime. So that's one of those differences. And, and that's where that quote that Bruce Arians said, which I still think he's overrated and, and not. I, I, I know I like Bruce Arians. I just the, the quote is just re- absolutely asinine that you said I so, yeah, like I, I just sit on the sidelines and watch him or yeah sometimes I just sit on the sidelines and watch him and, and like the Patriots didn't give him that freedom it's like screw you guy like you're the coach coach the game if you want to I don't hate quarterback it. Guy, <laughs> I no, feel like no no, no I understand why you did job it. right now is to just like stick the boot in on the Patriots <laughs> every now and again <laughs> and just be like hey look I did it with him too anybody can I'm Bruce Arians I'm a fucking idiot if I can do it anyone can do it Sure. He's doing what what every coach that has coached LeBron James, maybe with the exception of Eric Spolstra, has been told to do. Stand back and let it happen. And that's fine. 
I would say spools trip, not to get into that. Actually, let's not get into that. Well, let's <laughs> not ahead. get into that. Uh, but I will say this. Spolstra is a better coach of basketball than Bruce Arians is a coach of football. Not when LeBron was there, though. He was the quintessential stand back and watch him do shit because he nobody thought he was any good then. But he's all right now, I guess. Just because he beat the Celtics, we all started blowing him. But, like, he's okay. He's fine. To your, to your point, though, Joe, like when you say like, everyone can act like Tom Brady can do no wrong, and I think that's – I think it's over-exaggerated. I think that there are people out there that do that. But it's because historically, in a situation where you can't, if he does something wrong, you will lose the game. He doesn't do anything wrong. He always makes the re- overwhelmingly the majority of the time he makes the right decision in it, when it matters. So that affords him the right to do it. He puts himself in the position to make the the, the correct decisions, and you're you're absolutely right. He's been around long enough. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's the greatest of all time. No one will take that away from him. And in two weeks, if he wins, there's no conversation in any sport of any athlete at this time. And you and I both said that. I don't think Dave was a part of that conversation. Before you go on, I just have one. Can we can we just talk about that 39 just real quick? Is there any doubt in your mind? Like, we, know, we all know that Brady can't run, right? If he has that wide open of a field... No, Brady can't run that. The reason why we're talking about it is because it's Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers can make that play. Have you seen, I, I, Tom Brady is noticeably slow when he's running back towards his running back to hand the ball off. He's the slowest, man. He's like fucking molasses out there. You're crazy. I watched him break Erlacher's ankles. I mean, I, he can do okay, it. First, all right. First of all, let's. if you really want to get into that, first of all, that was like a thousand years ago. Okay. And like, he wasn't super fast then. Second off, I'm not talking about juking speed or side to side movement. I'm talking about running 10 yards. He would have like, somebody would have ended his career if he tried to do that in that situation. Three, I'm pretty sure Brian Erlacher was taking it easy on him because he didn't want to kill Tom Brady. And Tom Brady was kind of being kind of a dick about it and threw a fake, but like, whatever, all good. Yep. That happened. Thanks for bringing it up. Well, <laughs> yeah, bring bring that up, Mike. Kick a guy while he's down. Oh shoot! So the, I want to switch sides of the ball for the Bucks and and talk about the Bucks defense because they had one of their best defensive players, uh, rookie Antoine Winfield Jr. out. They had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of issues. Five sacks and an interception of of Aaron Rodgers in this game. And a part of the conversation with the Buccaneers, especially the second half of the season, was that they hadn't put it together yet. And the scary thing is, and I, I agree with Dave about the Super Bowl, but the scary thing is they're clicking and they're firing on all cylinders. And if they get Antoine Winfield back, Mike, what can this, what is this defense capable of? Not in terms of a Super Bowl, but just in terms of what we saw Sunday. Well, I think that they're, I mean, they were top five or top 10 defense last year, right? So that carried over. They, they have all the right pieces on the, on that defensive side of the ball. It's just a matter of knowing when to pick your spots. And I think Todd Bowles does a really good job for the most part and has for the last six weeks of the season, including the playoffs, of understanding who he's playing. Like with Aaron Rodgers, there there weren't that many blitzes. Like if you really watch that, he they were getting pressure with four with four man blitzes, which is literally nothing. So if they stick to that, if they don't try really to jack the line up with eight people on the line and go after go after Mahomes, I think they have a shot. We saw what they did earlier in this year. I mean, when, they only lost by three points, 27-24. And, and we'll preview that. But I think that that both that this defense has enough playmakers on it to do what they need to do to give their offense a chance to win the game. Do you think that or do you hope that? 
based on what I saw when they played this year, I've seen it. I mean, I just I feel like the Chiefs also have gotten kind of back to their old selves a little bit. Tyreek Hill had 200 yards receiving in the first half in that game, and and only one by three. Yeah, no, but like they still won. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know. I mean, I just I'm looking at that Chiefs offense in the AFC Championship game. I know we're not onto that yet, but that just didn't seem any like anyone can stop them to me. I, I mean, I know the Bucks defense is good, but I don't know if they're stopped that offense good, especially with how Super Bowls tend to go. It's like it's usually about the offense. Usually, but a lot of that's going to come down to, to coaching and game planning. But again, we'll get to that because I, I think there is an intangible there that the Buccaneers don't have. It's hard to walk this line, dude. It's really hard to talk about this and not talk about the next game, but we're going to try and do it. I know. We're doing our best. So let's talk about another part of this game, Mike, and, and another another interesting decision. Bobby and I talked about this in the Discord for probably 45 minutes, a pretty civil conversation, <laughs> honestly, but because there was no right or wrong answer with this one. And, and I, let's just play that out. I mean, in my mind, there's no right or wrong answer here. I thought it was a lose. But they kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the eight instead of going for the touchdown with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Had they scored and gotten the two-point conversion, had they not, they would have been down by eight, giving Tom Brady the ball back at the 15-yard line and at his own 15-yard line. And had they made the field goal, which they did, now they're down by five with three timeouts, also giving the ball back to Tom Brady. So, What's your take on this, Dave? How many interceptions have they gotten by that point? It, d- it didn't seem bad to me at the time when I was watching it. I, in retrospect, when you like br- break out the math, I, I agree that it sounds bad. But it, you remember when you were watching the Steelers game and he didn't go for it on like fourth and one? Tomlin didn't go for it on like fourth and one. And you knew at the time, with like the eye test, you were like, that was such a fuck up. Like he needed to go right. If you can't get a yard, that whole thing. At the time I was like, there's a lot of time left on the clock. Like they picked Brady off. I think they picked him off at least twice. Yeah. Yeah. Was it three times at that point? Okay. So he, they picked him off three times and they were like, okay, we can stop these guys. Like, let's not take any dumb risks and like give them, let's trust the defense is how it felt to me at the time. But I do see coming back. It's like, it didn't work out, but it's a hindsight's 2020 thing for me in that situation. I don't blame them for that. I blame them for fucking up a bunch of other things. If they, not that specifically. So, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I completely disagree. Listen, when you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, right? right. Well, I said I completely understand. That's the new part. <laughs> he throws for 4,300 yards, 48 touchdowns. And in this game, he was he had three touchdowns and one pick. And you're telling me that you don't trust that guy with Devontae Adams, with all the weapons that they have there to get eight yards. Just give him one more you, shot. You I would don't rather... trust that guy. You started off the show saying, I'm not, but I'm not, I'm not his coach. I'm not his coach. I have no faith in him. And what this just showed me is that LaFleur had no faith in him either. I don't think so. I think they just trusted their defense. You trust, it's a, you can trust your defense and not automatically not trust your quarterback. I also think it's more of this stat crap, right? Is that all those stat nerds on the sideline saying, well, you have a pretty good opportunity here. If you kick a field goal, you can get the ball back and drive down the field. Well, but that has to play into it. That stuff has to play into it. But let's not go into baseball real quick. I, 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 I have to throw this in there because we, we have to talk about the scenarios, right? So if they miss on fourth and eight, they give Tom Brady the ball at the eight. Sure, they can stop him, but it's still giving the ball back to the greatest quarterback of all time with an eight-point lead at the eight-yard line. All he has to do is run the clock out, even though they have three timeouts, okay? Or they get the touchdown, 
miss the two-point conversion, they're still down by two, still need the ball back. You're still putting the ball in the hands of the greatest quarterback of all time with time on the clock. They can get the touchdown, get the two-point conversion. Now it's a tie ball game. You're still giving the ball back to the best quarterback of all time, and all he has to do is get in Ryan Suckup's range to, to take the lead and win the ball game, or you kick the field goal, you get you, you kick the field goal, you're down by five, you're still putting the ball into the hands of the greatest quarterback of all time. So either way, you have to stop no, him. No, that's not true. That what, what you all of the scenarios that you just mentioned are true, but the one that you failed to mention is what if something goes wrong and they have a safety on Tom Brady and then they get the ball back, right? So then the Packers, they get a safety on Tom Brady, they get two points, and then T- Green Bay or then Tampa Bay has to kick to Green Bay. So that is another scenario. I don't know that would have happened, but all I know is two things. If you don't trust your guy to get eight yards and get a touchdown, there's a problem. If you don't trust your defense to bait Tom Brady, who had already thrown three uh, interceptions in that game, into saying, oh, they're going to blitz me. Let's do something here on the eight-yard line and pick him off again. We have a problem. There is no trust in anything besides the special teams, in my opinion. I don't know if it's a trust thing. I feel like the the Packers had like no time of possession either. Like that was part of the Bucks game plan. Like they came out and they had the ball for so long every time they scored. And a lot of that was because they were able to establish their running game and like they have weapons there, all that stuff. But it's going to get into your head a little bit, no matter who you are, if you've barely had the ball and you're asking your offense to make the biggest play of the game. I just think that's going to factor into it. It's just another factor as opposed to just like, they blew it. They didn't take the risk. Like you can say that in hindsight. And if somehow you've backed me into sticking up for the fucking Green Bay Packers, who I hate, but I I just think it's like, I don't know. I, I like you said at the start of the show, it's like Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, uh, the Buccaneers defense deserves a lot of credit and they've been making plays like, especially in the first quarter, they stuffed them so many times, like so many momentum killers in the first quarter. You're staring down the barrel of that. It's just not the same as if like you've made plays already. You've already made some plays and you can get those yards. That wasn't the case. They were asking them to their offense to do something that they hadn't really done up until that point in that game, maybe in the playoffs and stuff like that, but they hadn't really like gotten it going like that. But their defense was kind of rolling. So it's like, all right, let's trust the D. What's situational? I get what you're saying, but. I also think not to argue with myself and to back Dave up in, in the in the process. I think the coach saw what Aaron Rodgers did on third and nine and said, "Well, he's just. I mean, if it's not there, that's he's, such a, he's, that's he's such not going to do it." Killer. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a very John Madden piece of commentary. But to, be, to say like, if you could make those nine yards, you wouldn't be on fourth down in the fucking first place. But and which is sort of obvious, but it's true. It's like if you hadn't made that play, you shouldn't be in that situation in the first place. That adds to it. I agree with you totally. There should have been different plays throughout the game that got the them third and nine is a yeah. bigger is more egregious. The third nine plays more absolutely. egregious than not going for it on fourth. I guess is my overall point. Mike, I mean, it, I my final point on this topic would it would be if they don't kick that field goal and they go for it on fourth and goal from the eight and they don't get it, that game's over. At that point, that game is over to me. Like again, you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady and that Buccaneer team who had played very well. That defense who had sacked Aaron Rodgers five times, they picked him off once at that point already. It was definitely against LaFleur's usual style, but I'm with Dave. I think it just so many things changed throughout the game. That that was what what the the call warranted for at the time. For me, you have a first ballot Hall of Famer as your quarterback you he's a 30 million dollar cap hit for the next three years he's had one he's had a resurgent season one of the best seasons of his career 
That's a hill you die on. I'm okay as the coach losing the game on fourth and eight with the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands. Because that's that, because yeah, if, when you if, put it like that, but it's still Aaron Rodgers is the guy with all those accolades that you just ma- mentioned. And you even said at the start of the show right. that he's not that right. dude. But if I'm, but, <laughs> Maybe the coach I'm, knows that too. He's, you know, that he shouldn't be the coach. He shouldn't be the coach. You got to try. But how can both try. things be true? I, like, is he not that guy? And like, that's your honest assessment of Aaron Rodgers. And that means that's right in your head that well, Aaron Rodgers is that guy. So he's doing the right thing by not trusting. I him. could not coach Aaron Rodgers because I believe him to be a, a glorified elite choker. Like, I just don't think he has I mean, it. I think that we've seen that proven. But that. if you are the coach of Aaron Rodgers, you can't believe that because you're going to, you're not going to put, like, it's just, it's just not going to work. So I guess. So he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't then, Mike, because if he has a, tr- if he trusts Aaron Rodgers and what you say about him is true, he might've done the right thing as a coach, but he's still going to lose the fucking game. Like, just, just give Aaron Rodgers a chance to prove me wrong. That's what I'm advocating. Well, he didn't, but I don't think it's the coach's fault. That's the, that's Aaron Rodgers not taking responsibility. You know what I mean? Like he's out on the field with the ball in his hands. This is pre-play call when he doesn't make that third and nine move. You know what I do love about this game though? And I didn't, I should have put it into perspective before the game started. It's the Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady is a matchup I didn't know I needed in my life. And like in, 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 in a conference championship game, especially because do you guys remember, maybe you didn't get this media because you're like on the East coast and stuff, but do you guys remember before, the season off season before Brady won his sixth Super Bowl, not like raffle. <laughs> the season before that, there was this weird thing going around where everyone was like, is Aaron Rodgers actually the goat? Like, because yeah, he maybe hasn't. I know the answer is no, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. <though. laughs> He's shaking his head at me. I'm like, no, I know. I didn't invent this story. It was like pre Brady sixth. He was like, yeah, but he's like more talented on paper, right? There was like this weird kind of narrative. And I was like, no, it's like five to one. Like, no, you can't. And that was always my opinion on it. And like not being a Patriots fan and hating the Packers, that was like an easy, an easy get for me. Then he goes and wins sixth. And I'm like, okay, no one can talk about Aaron Rodgers anymore. But I realize people still were. So it's really nice for me to have this game to point to, to say like, oh no, he couldn't even shine his fucking cleats, dude. It's not even close. Look at that NFC championship game from 2021 when Brady's probably pissing in a bag on his ankle because he's about a thousand and one years old. And Aaron Rodgers had a career year and got waxed. Like what a lovely thing to have happened. (laughs) Like really cheered me up to put context on it. So moving on to what happened after that field goal. So what happened after that field goal, and it looked like on the first couple plays of the next Bucks drive, like they were going to get stopped, right? And then the Packers get called for a PI in the middle of the field. And at first, I thought it was a soccer flop. I thought the receiver had just absolutely gone down, hadn't been touched. And then at second glance, well, the defensive back was literally pulling his undershirt off of him. I think it should have been a hold over a PI five yards in first down instead of 20 yards in a first down. Doesn't really matter, right? But at that point, that's pretty much what sealed it. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, that's just bad coaching, dude, right? Like, and again, in nut cutting time, like, there there have been a couple plays in that game where – Tampa, I believe, got away with a couple, right? So maybe they were thinking that they weren't calling them as, and it's the last couple plays of the game. You can't turn a size medium shirt into a 3X. They're going to call it. They called it on that play. I mean, when the replay, when, I, when we first saw it, I'm with you, Joe. I was like, that's a late flag. Like, you, you don't want to win that way. <laughs> you see the replay, and the guy is stretching the guy's shirt across the entire screen. You can't do that. It's bad coaching. 
Again, they weren't that entire team for me, the Packers, does not know how to handle the big moment. And it was just illustrated again and again in that game. Yeah, you can't turn around and just blame Mike McCarthy now too either. Like like you did last year. There was a whole narrative around it. I will say though, and I'm not I don't disagree with you, it was definitely a pass interference and it was definitely a bonehead uh decision. It's tough in the moment when you get beat like by a step, especially in big moments like that, to not react and like do something silly. But I will say they were not calling that for the majority of that game. I saw a few of those. Like I saw a few, like they were letting them play. And like, I agree with you that it's a pass interference. I agree with you that it was the most blatant. So it's like you're over the line instead of towing the line. I just, for with refereeing, I just asked for consistency. That's my main request. And I just didn't feel it in that game. And I thought it was, I thought we lowered down a little bit there, but yeah, it was the right call. I think it brings us back to everything that we've always kind of talked about on the show. Though, was like, don't put yourself in a position for the referee to decide. Yeah. Totally. And that guy did it. Yeah. I mean, it happened, it happened, the same thing happened with the Bears, right? Like, the, our, we blew ourselves up by getting guys ejected and making dumb decisions. And it's like, you can cry about the refs all you want. You're absolutely right. You can cry about the refs all you want, but, like, don't let them get involved. It's not basketball. In basketball, they're involved from the gate, from the jump. There's nothing you can do. There's, there's no way to not have them be involved. But in football, you can take them out of the game if you're playing in the right way. And you're totally right about that. One thing that they're not talking about much, and probably because it's completely irrelevant, is the fact that if he hadn't held him or interfered, that ball is probably over his head. It was not a very well-thrown pass. I wish there was a way to know that. Like, I know there isn't, but wouldn't it be great if there was a way with science to know if it was like, like that Christian McCaffrey commercial where it's like him being annoying. And then it's like 26% chance to like jump this guy and get him into the end zone. Is that real? Because like, (laughs) I want someone to run that computer program. If the ball's uncatchable, just do the thing with the Christian. What's that even for? I don't even know. But I'm, don't I don't know. Them. But here's so here's <laughs> what you about. should do. It's the Amazon. It's the Amazon thing. So oh, yeah. what I think you should do, being in LA, is find Jeff Bezos and get in touch with Dean Blandino, friend of the show, and the three of you, since you're in your line of work and those two are doing the things they do, get in touch with them and you can figure it out. Dude, I know. I, think, I mean, I well, it sounds like they already have the technology unless that commercial's lying to me about Christian McCaffrey being like three guys, like a 14%, even though like none of those that. guys are anywhere near him and that's in that in that shot, whatever. Is I, that a real I personally, play or did they film that? I don't know. But if that technology works, apply it. And then have no pass interference calls that ruin games anymore because it's like, oh, we're just going to run the Christian McCaffrey commercial program. And then it's just like 0% probability of catching. It's like, sorry, guys, the computer says no. And then you just move on with your day. Or the game they did it for they did it for a Deshaun Watson commercial too. I wonder if they knew the percentage uh, chance that he would be back in Houston. I want to know if that technology exists because it could really improve the game of football. It, it really could. It really could. And, and honestly, I, I want to see it, and I'd love for you to be a part of that. So this is where we'll talk about the Super Bowl, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in the context of Tom Brady and the Super Bowl as a whole. We'll throw a million incredible stats and numbers at you on Sunday in our live show on Facebook Live, Missing the Points on Facebook. We'll be there from 6 to 8 p.m. on Sunday, January 31st, to break down the entire Super Bowl and, and preview that whole game. But here's one that we'll give you. Tom Brady is 9-3 and all-time against NFC teams in the playoffs, 6-3 and three in Super Bowls, 3-0 and oh this postseason. He has one less win against NFC teams in the playoffs than Aaron Rodgers, who obviously has 10, and he has the same amount of NFC championship games as Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. And as Dave said, he just got to the party better late than never. Here's the question. Is there any other quarterback not named Pat Mahomes that 
could bring a team to a Super Bowl in year one of being there? So the reason why I, I, I love this question is, is, well, one, I wrote it. Two, I, I <laughs> don't give that away. Sorry, sorry. But it, I was thinking, I was, because the Buccaneers last year were seven and nine, right? Six of their nine losses were by seven points or less. So it's like, okay, they're kind of there. Brady brought the, the Brady brought the Buccaneers to four uh, come from behind wins this year of more than ten points. So I'm thinking to myself, is there any other guy that could do that? Montana couldn't bring the Chiefs there, right? And he was the greatest. Oh, we're doing all time. Well, well, but then I'm like, okay, well, could Aaron? Like, what if Aaron Rodgers was on this team? This is what what I was thinking, and I, and I just kept thinking to myself, he couldn't do it. Like he, I, I don't think there's another quarterback currently playing in the NFL that, well, my, I think there's one, sorry. I think Ben could go down there and do it. Ben I Roethlisberger. Think, I, I, think, I, I think, I think Roethlisberger, because oh. all he does is stand back there and throw the ball 40 yards. He loves, I mean, that's a Bruce Arians offense. He I mean, that, that's, be, but he but wouldn't I, be the guy I would pick if, if I had to pick any other, if I, if the context of the question, if I understand it correctly is, Tom Brady went to got traded to Tampa Bay and brought Tampa Bay to a Super Bowl. If anyone else got traded to Tampa Bay, would they be able to do it? So the question within the question is, was that team so good they just needed somebody at quarterback, or did Tom, was it because it, it was Tom Brady? And I think like I think if you put a lot of quarterbacks in that team, personally, I think they could have done this. I think the defense, like we talked about, is good. I think if Deshaun Watson is in that quarterback role, I think they're electric and they probably have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl next week. To be honest with you, so. yeah, but I, I, I like I think skill set wise, you're right. <clears throat> but football acumen, I think, is where we're, we're losing here, right? It's because Brady's been in the league for 20 years. He's seen all the things that work and don't work, and for better or for worse, if we take Arians at his word, Arians isn't telling Brady what to do 100 percent of the time. He's leaving. He's deferring to him. So, are there any other quarterbacks in the league that are afforded that right to do it and have the same results? I don't think so. I really don't. I think, yeah, I think Deshaun Watson has more talent than Tom Brady in terms of mobility and accurate and and just arm strength. But I don't know if Arians leaves it to him to do it and to coach the game on the field. Yeah, I see your point. That's a good, that's a good point. I mean, maybe you like you. So you're in that class of people, Drew Brees. Maybe I would take Drew over Aaron for all the reasons we outlined about Aaron Rodgers. But I would take Drew over Aaron, even though he didn't look at all like the same guy this year i do think that the way that that with that amount of weapons to just be able because like when kamara and stuff was going off for him like he didn't have five of him he just had him really and like a couple other guys can make plays if you're throwing it to that many people but then if it's not brady do they get a b in there you know what i mean like gronkowski probably never goes there he's not there so like a lot of their weapons are kind of down to tom too like would they even come and play for that team because that a lot of people came there to play with Tom Brady. That was like the whole point. Nobody came the whole, every meme that's like trying to shit on new England right now is like, nobody came to play new England after Brady left. They're all there for Brady. So yeah, I think that's part of it too. Right. Not just the Bruce Arians thing. But you I think, think, I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers has that clout. Maybe not Gronk, right? Cause Gronk is Brady's boy. But if Aaron Rodgers tells the front office of the, of Tampa to sign Antonio Brown, they do it. I think they do. But think he so. wouldn't do that though. Because he didn't play yeah, with him in New England, you know what I mean? Like they didn't try him out in New England. Like they didn't have the that way that, yeah, the way that your question was phrased to me, it's like, oh yeah, no, like all the things that Tom Brady brings to the table 
which including That's specifically fair. Rob Gronk- Gronkowski, who came back and made a bunch of plays. And like to me, I, mean, I said this on record many times, it didn't make sense to me that Rob Gronkowski was going to Tampa to play because I thought he was cooked because in my head, if Brady or sorry, if Belichick wanted Brady and Gronk, he could have had him. You know what I mean? Like he could have had him that year before all that stuff got weird. So that tells me that combo doesn't work anymore. And now it's not the same as when like Gronkowski was running through 50 people and like just sacrificing his hips and his knees to the for the cause. But it was still a great, it's still a great tandem that like helped them get to a Super Bowl. So like, yeah, all the things Tom Brady brings to a ta- to the table really definitely helped. And also the context too of Jameis being the guy who was there who was like just not Tom Brady and like him leaving and it being about efficiency. Like what what we were really lacking with Jameis Winston is as much as he can be dynamic at times, we're lacking efficiency and we need a, a like a field general, a guy that can just like get us through games with efficiency and don't blow games for us. And even though he had a Jameis Winston stat line in the NFC championship game, I think that's another thing that Tom Brady specifically brought to that team. But yeah, I agree with you, I guess is the long way of saying that. So while we need to move on to the AFC championship game, since we've spent 30 minutes on Tom Brady in the NFC championship game, the one thing I will say that has, that this has all proven to me with this Buccaneer team this year, this run through the playoffs is I am. It is now solidified in my mind that Josh McDaniels is a fraud. And we can talk about that more on Sunday, but I, I and I, I don't want to make this into Byron left, which is a fraud because I don't think he is because he hasn't been necessarily in an OC role for long enough to have that title put on him. I think Byron left, which is up and coming. And I think Tom Brady being his quarterback is great for Byron left, which right. But I, I think because of how this is going and we're seeing them play so similarly to how we saw new England play for so many years, minus the long balls that Tom Brady's actually throwing this year is that it was Tom and that Josh McDaniels is a fraud. So moving on to the AFC championship, because I'm not even going to let you guys get into that. We'll get, we'll touch back on that on Sunday. Kansas city chiefs beat the Buffalo bills 38 to 24 guys. This one got chippy at the end and it was uh, really, honestly, this was both of these games were a lot of fun to watch, but this one was a lot of fun to watch. And I think it's because the chiefs are a lot of fun to watch. Mike, are the chiefs on track and are they better than they were in 2019? Yeah, I mean, I don't I think they're on the right track. I don't know if they're better than they were last year. It looks like they're pretty equal. The one thing about this game is like if I were to tell you that the Bills would score the first 9 points and the last 9 points of the game, you'd think okay, that's pretty good. The Chiefs went on the 38 to 6 run in between those in between that period of time. Like whenever they want to turn it on, they can turn it on. So I think th- I, I think this team is I think Mahomes twenty nine to thirty eight three twenty five three touchdowns. There's just there's no one currently more talented in the league at the quarterback position than Patrick Mahomes. So I think as long as he's healthy, like they this is their new normal. Dave, you talk about the their you you mentioned them earlier and, and said we would get back to it when we get to the AFC championship game, and you just think they're so dynamic and can't be stopped. Mike just gave you Patrick Mahomes numbers. They had 114 total rushing yards, 50 of which were by a wide receiver, and they had two receivers, well, tight end and a receiver. Guess who? Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey, over a hundred yards. Travis Kelsey had nine catches in the first half. Talk about this, the the dynamics of this Kansas City team, because I'm with you in total agreement. Yeah, I mean, if the question is, are they as good as last year? They're still doing that same thing where 
it was like nine to three or whatever. And I swear to God, I looked down at my phone. I looked back up and it was like nine to 18. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, <laughs> what happened? And I think that's what they do. They're, they score so quickly and they can score on you, like you said, at will. And uh, we, talk, we talked extensively about Aaron Rodgers, like running to make that play. If it's like third and nine, Patrick Mahomes, you're not even talking about that play. If it's Patrick Mahomes, it's not even going to come up. Like it, the way... It's also everybody around him. Like you said, I mean, there's so many dynamic players there. Sideline to sideline in the first 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage, they can dump the ball and get 30 yards, not just like 10. Like they can dump the ball to somebody and get like 30 to 50 yards like that. And it's just like, how? It's just like, it's not a new way to play football, like short slants and stuff like that and dynamic movement behind the line of scrimmage beforehand and and making man coverage like, oh, you know, you can't take him one-on-one, you can't take him one-on-one. They have so many of those guys. But for some reason, the way that they can get momentum going, it, you immediately decide they're going to win the game once they start to do that. And like, like you said, the sandwich start the game with the first nine and the game with the first nine. It doesn't matter. They lit you up for 36 in the middle and they know that they can do that. There's like a whole confidence factor. I was watching some of the sideline stuff. Who was the guy who muffed the punt? Was that Hill that muffed the punt? Hardman. Nicole Hardman. Hardman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like Patrick Mahomes turns around and goes to him like three different times for him to make plays. And he, but he apparently went up to him on the sideline and I saw this video. Not apparently I saw it happen. Walks up and he's like, come on, man, you're gonna make some plays in this game. Like be us. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like some Coach Eric Taylor, Dylan Panthers, clear eyes, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose stuff. I'm fired up. Like, let's see it. Let's see it happen. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know. They don't let anybody get their heads down. They don't get worried when they're behind because they know they can just light teams up. If anything, I think their defense might be a little worse than it was last year, which you could see Brady exploiting. Allen looked almost there to me, but it's just in a matchup like that where your team just gets punched in the mouth like three different times by clearly the best team in the NFL. Even if they lose in the Super Bowl, they're still the best team in the NFL as far as like talent and ability goes for me. The game might go differently, but I, I don't think there's an argument. But yeah, there's just so they score so quick, man. Like I, I would not want my team going up against them. I really wouldn't. It would just it's bad. The one concerning thing <clears throat> is that Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill accounted for 290 out of the 325 yards, right? So if you're nitpicking, if you just take one of them out, just one, right? Like Belichick, we're, we're, like he takes away your best player. You, you can't, I mean, Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill aren't going to have 20 catches. I don't know, man. They won a game with Chad Henney under center, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> and converted a fourth down play where everybody play, thought they were but, just going to. But gonna... that was Cleveland. Don't right? say that sure. He made a play, and you backed hey. Cleveland all goddamn years. Yes, you did. Against the Steelers. But, I mean, I'm just saying, like, they are showing this this ability to just focus on their two guys, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And listen, those are two great guys, so I'd definitely focus on them a lot too. But for me – I think the one weakness that, that we're not that we're not really that we're not really talking about here is that the the actual running backs of of Kansas City have not really shown up that much recently, right? So I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been hurt. Darrell Williams only had you know 13 carries for 52 yards last year. They had another Williams that was running through everybody in the playoffs. So that also sets up Patrick Mahomes in the play action, which I guess he doesn't really need because he can do whatever he wants. But if you get a really good defense with a really good offense against Patrick Mahomes and, and and his what appears to be just very one dimension Tyree Kill Travis Kelsey offense, I think you have a shot. 
So Mike, to, to the point we, we talked about off air yesterday uh, and then got the notification today, it does sound like Le'Veon Bell is going to be active for the Super Bowl. And because of the injuries to, well, I understand, but he's still a running back, right? Like it, if Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards Hilaire are healthy, you don't need 50 rushing yards from your, your punt returner and fourth wide receiver. I think Edward Solaire is the guy, though. Like, Le'Veon Bell, the way that he rushes doesn't really fit schematically with Kansas City, right? I think he's there for short yardage situations, but Edward Solaire is dynamic, and they need him to do what he was doing in the first six games of the season. Again, I could be wrong. I've been wrong a lot. I'm going to continue to be wrong a lot. Maybe Patrick Mahomes is enough. He was last year in the Super Bowl, but I think, I I just think if you go against a team that, that can actually scheme for you, you need to be multidimensional. And right now, they're, it's literally just Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I don't see what the problem with just Tyreek Hill and Travis <laughs> it's, Kelsey it's is, really though. Problem. Like, I mean, I it's like, what's his name? Jim Brown's coach, Paul Brown, when he was on the Cleveland Browns, said if a reporter asked him, don't you think you go to Jim Brown too much? And he was like, well, we won the game, don't we? If you have the biggest cannon, you should probably shoot it. It's like, it works. <laughs> so who gives a shit? You know, I mean, it's like, it's two. If it was one, I could see your point. It's like when you have one dynamic wide receiver, or like big deep threat wide receiver, and you can go like, whatever, we'll double him. We'll chip him at the line. We'll, we'll chop, we'll do everything we can. Like, we'll just, we'll lock him down. But it's two of them. And they play two completely different positions on the offense. And they do two completely different things on the offense. And Patrick Mahomes finds them every single time. And he does it in like, he's just so good too, that you're, so you're watching three things as a defense. You're watching Tyreek Hill for when he's going to turn around because when he turns around, he's so fast at then turning to and faces Mahomes. He's so fast at then turning back around that you can't get him by surprise. You're watching Travis Kelsey's like tight end play through over through the middle. Oh shit, he has me underneath again. Oh shit, he has me underneath again. Oh shit, he has me underneath again. And you're watching Mahomes in his feet. So that the middle of the field for any defense, I don't care how good you are. It's just, it's, it just, it sounds tiring to even say it. I, it's going to be a lot for them. I know they're good, but Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. Aaron Rodgers is an elite quarterback. I really like Josh Allen and what the Buffalo bills are doing. I think Sean McDermott is, has done a great job up there in Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes is just He's like one of those guys. I don't normally like to go out and buy jerseys of dudes. I, I just never really have been that guy. That's a guy that I'd be like, I, I want to go buy his jersey. Like, I, I want his jersey because of just the guy he is, how well he plays. Moments like Dave mentioned with me, Cole Hardman. And then you have the moments like, and I can't remember, I think it was last year. And I, I brought this up before, but it's still one of my pa- favorite Patrick Mahomes moments. And it always will be, is when they showed a slow-mo replay of a play where he's rolling out and there was either a holding call or there was some call and he stops and looks at Terry McCauley in slow motion. He stops and looks at him as he's running and then gets back into the play and like gains 15. And I'm like, are you kidding? This kid is incredible. And then he comes out and admits that he didn't know how to read a defense in his uh, rookie season. I mean, this guy is just out of his mind. I think if they win this year, not to jump ahead, but I, I think if they win this year, we have a golden state warrior situation on our hands. And I can see with the, discourse it's already kind of getting to be that way because nobody wants to talk about the chiefs because it's kind of boring to talk about at this point because they're just yeah they're great (laughs) you know what i mean like that's what you're always going to say and i see what you're doing mike because it's like it's just more interesting to think how could the buccaneers beat the chiefs but and for all intents and purposes realistically the bucks aren't even the team i would have thrown at them you know what i mean like i just 
We'll see. Without previewing the Super Bowl, I just think that if we're talking about a team that is not being quarterbacked by Patrick Mahomes, and I tell you that 22 out of his 29 completions went to two different guys, you'd say, okay, that's easily fixable, right? Like, you just shut down those no, two I'd guys. No, I'd say, now, what the fuck was Green Bay doing? What were, like, what, what, were you, what were they doing if they let uh, those same two guys? It's like, the ha- that house has been on fire for three and a half quarters. Like, do something. But they can't. There was nothing they could do about it. They just go, we're just getting bullied by talent. Like sometimes they're just better. Two more quick things, Joe, I promise. Travis Kelsey was the leading receiver in the NFL until he sat down week 17. He's a tight end. <laughs> so it's bad. And like I'm really trying to nitpick here for weaknesses. But to your last point, if you don't appreciate Patrick Mahomes, you're not a football fan. That's just as simple as it is. Because this is the closest thing that we will ever see to a Jordan LeBron, Jordan Kobe kind of transition, right? This is Brady to Mahomes. Rodgers has all the talent in the world, but doesn't have any balls. Mahomes will do whatever he needs to do to win. It's been proven he's already a winner in his second year. He's in the Super Bowl again for the second time in his third year. I just think that that this is... You don't ever get to see the two greatest people from two different eras face off. Yeah, this is icon versus icon. But it's also like he doesn't the great. And I'll just say one thing on on that. Sorry. The the best thing about him is that Mahomes is that he looks like he's going out to get his paper when he's playing quarterback. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to study body language, if you're going to put kids down, sit down and like watch game tape, like this is what the other team needs to see. And like, that'll give you confidence or whatever it is. Mahomes is just like out there doing his taxes or whatever he's doing. You know, it's just like, he just, there's nothing in his face that makes it seem like he's got stakes. You know what I mean? Like that he cares to be there at all. And then he puts in these performances. That was just to your point, Mike, but it's so impressive. <laughs> it's like, it's, and it's, I mean, you feel so lucky when you get athletes like this, like generational athletes, because a lot of people hated Tom Brady because he didn't look like he was, he did, he looked worse than he played. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't oh, yeah. he didn't look like he was supposed to be that good. So it's like that combine picture. And a lot of people hate him, like the New England thing, like whatever. There's nothing to hate about Patrick Mahomes for me. Like uh, there's just, I don't know, try and find something because like he does everything and you would love to have him on your team. You'd take him in two yes. seconds. Like yes. every team in the NFL would say yes to that. So if you don't like Patrick Mahomes, you're lying or you're bitter. That's, if you that's believe... It. If you believe our executive producer, he's not going to play past 2025. And if you want to find something that you don't like about Patrick Mahomes, our executive producer will tell you that it's his brother and his girlfriend. But anyway, now that we've gone through a Tom Brady. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Fiance. True. Fiance. I did say fiance. Clarify. But getting back to that Mahomes thing, I just listened to that whole diatribe for like five minutes. And if I didn't know that you were talking about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs right there, I would say you were I would say I would bet money that you were talking about Russell Wilson and the Seahawks about five years ago. Because that's the exact same thing we were talking about back then. So never had those kind of guys, but I'll say this. I think you might yeah, be right. Players. Patrick. Yeah, decent, but not like on this level. I because that, that defense is what really won. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll say this. You might be right about Patrick Mahomes not playing past 2025 but that might be because he wins every super bowl from now until then and is bored and beating up on the nfl and has decided to retire but it's got not it's not going to have anything to do with anything else but the other thing is he he's got the feet but it 
he's, he can throw the ball so well. And it's like, even when he loses that, like he's going to be able to adjust his game and like still be so elite. Barring any kind of terrible injury, I just, he's going to make the NFL less fun for the next 10 years <laughs> is the only thing. Cause you're, he's going to be the only person you're ever going to watch in a Super Bowl. Also, Craig, just to argue your point, R- Russell Wilson was the quarterback on a team that got him to the Super Bowl twice. Like he played pretty well, right? Mm-hmm. But he was there because of that defense. Patrick Mahomes is in the Super Bowl and brought the Chiefs there twice. There's a, a remarkable difference. They are there because of him. That is it. He's the reason. Patrick Mahomes right now at 24 is what Tom Brady was in his late 30s. Like he's bringing that 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 team to with the legs. With legs. Yes. And and I still agree with Dave, though, not to, to go back. I agree with Dave. If that field is open for Tom Brady, he's trying it. He's got a thousand rushing yards in his career. I remember last season when he when he got the thousand rushing yards in New England and he refused to kneel the ball because he didn't want to go back to 999. So we've gone through the Chiefs side of it. And just real quick, I, we have to talk about the Buffalo Bills for the obvious reasons. The fact that they're in the AFC East. They're a rival of the team that three of the four of us here follow. So Josh Allen, I really like Josh Allen. I, I mean, I don't like him as much as Patrick Mahomes, but I really think he has what it takes as long as the coaching and the, the personnel around him continue to grow and be what they are. But what's next for the Bills? Are they the team to beat in the AFC East? And why is the answer yes? Well, barring any any wild offseason changes, I think actually no, no matter what, they are the team to beat. They are they are the, they are the new standard in the, in, in the AFC East, and I think it's simple, right? It's because you see the remarkable growth that he's shown you over the last just two years, and just his completion percentage. It went up, up like twelve points since last year. I think their one weakness, which was greatly exposed in the postseason was there they don't have that guy as a running back right and i don't think that you need i don't think the running back needs to be the best player on your team to get you to a super bowl but i do think that you need to have a capable running game to get there and to be dominant uh, and it just hasn't been there but i think mcdermott's a great coach I think he's a really great coach. I think Josh Allen has shown that he's willing to develop and work on the things that he needs to work on to get better. And that GM went out and got him Stefan Diggs. So for me, they're the team to beat, and it's going to be hard to beat them because McDermott's a defensive guy, right? And that defense, since he's taken over, has given who we, are, who, who we have called over and over again on this show, the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, the his worst per- season performance every year that he was in that division. So for me, they are the new standard bearer. I think if you're a Bills fan, you have a lot to look forward to, barring anything you know horrific and unforeseen that I hope does not happen. I think uh, it's going to be a good time to be in, in, in Bills Mafia because they're going to be perennial playoff team uh, moving forward. Yeah, and they just got together. Like they're a lot of their issues. If they had, they didn't have many, obviously, because they made it to the AFC Championship game. But you know, consistency is tough for a team that just got together. There's things that they can still do. There's things that they can still improve on, like. Yeah, having Stefan Diggs is great, but I think we saw in the AFC Championship game, it would have been really great for them to have, yeah, sure, a running weapon, but also somebody that can take a little bit of pressure off of Diggs. So you don't have to be Stefan Diggs or be as dynamic as Stefan Diggs, but some other guys need to be out there making the same kinds of plays to keep the keep the defenses guessing. I think they could beef up their offensive line a little bit. They could, Allen's still raw like he he's great and he's he makes super incredible plays and they're super dynamic but there's still a rawness to his game great improvement from last season to this season as far as becoming a legitimate quarterback in the nfl and actually completing passes which he wasn't doing before that going up against lamar jackson 
I think you saw the difference that being able to sit in the pocket was like that storyline played out exactly how he said it would. It's just like, who's going to be able to make throws and it's more likely going to be Josh Allen. He's been in the league for less time. He's still raw. He can still get even better. The sky's the limit for that kid. You know what I mean? Like he can, he can do a lot in this league and Yes, the answer is yes. They're definitely the dominant force in the AFC. Sorry, I know you guys are Patriots fans, so that's a bummer. But it is just the case. They're definitely the team to beat. And now the Patriots, when they go back to the drawing board, need to build a team to beat the Bills. For sure. I think I think you have to be really careful, though, if you're the GM of the Bills right now, because we've seen that, like, Josh Allen, he thrives off of chaos being created. Like, he doesn't need like, – I, I think you're right, Dave. Like, they should really beef up that, that offensive line because the last thing that you want is this kid's career to be cut short because he's taking too many unnecessary hits moving outside the pocket. I also think if you draft a running back in the first round, awesome. But it just smells to me like the the Bills are going to go and get Allen Robinson. I just think that's going to happen. And if you have Robinson and Diggs, now we're I mean now you're talking about a situation where you can't cover. You and just then, can't and then Josh Allen a year later yeah, too. I mean if, if he it. can make the same kind of leap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I doubt he will cuz I think he's only got a few more tweaks to make, but if you yeah. can go up even another half a level like he did last season or or a quarter level even and you add another weapon like Robinson and and just get a couple of decent like blindside tacklers or whatever like yeah, they'd be real, real scary. They're still going to lose the Chiefs, though. <laughs> well, that, that, that's what I was going to say, is that they're still going to have to get through the Chiefs, right? Definitely the Bills are going to be one of the forces in the AFC, and that's painful to to see with them being in the AFC East. I mean, I still think the Dolphins and the Jets are the, – the Dolphins are closer, but the Jets are a long way away from doing anything. So I think at least the, the third spot in the AFC East, although I like Robert, we'll get to him shortly. In the second half of the show, let me make Craig really happy here. So the, one other thing we got to talk about in the storyline is something that that kind of blew our mind, Mike. Well, two things, right? So the first thing is, let's just quickly, uh, Cole Beasley, iron, friggin' Iron Man. Balls. Guy, he played the end of the season and all of the playoffs on a broken leg. And then we saw him bro- break it either again or more in that game. And I sent a message to the Discord and was like, did he just break his leg? And he went to, to walk to the sideline and you could just see something collapse in his right calf. And then he's back out there three plays later. What I don't know what they're giving this guy, but it works. And I, I want some of it for like a bruise on my arm because that's absolutely amazing. I, I think this guy is underrated. He actually had a great year. Is Cole Beasley, he's a little, he's up there because he was in Dallas for a long time. I mean, he was in Dallas when Tony Romo was still there. It's been a long career for Cole Beasley, but with Allen Robinson there, is he a good number three for them to, to, to have? Yeah, for sure. I think he's going to be a 32-year-old Cole Beasley next year. And if he's coming off of back off of a broken leg, who knows what you get. But I mean, if you think about this year, he has 82 catches for 967 yards and four touchdowns. And he wasn't serviceable. He was he you had to actually scheme for him, right? So that he was a difference maker, which is always tough to be as the receiver that, that he is, because he's more of a slot type of receiver. So he made that that jump this year to the upper echelon of, of slot receivers. What I will say, what you saw from him in that game is I think the reason why the Bills are, are going to be a, a perennial playoff team is he was willing to risk whatever it is, his leg for his team. And that's because he believes in, in what his coach is doing and what his quarterback is doing. And I think that you like there's no you can put a price tag on that. You know, as far as what they're giving him, it's probably the cane. He was really speedy for a, a, after a while. But I think – I, I do think, for me, I don't think he's going to have a great year like he did this year, next year. But if he's your third, 
I don't know that there's another wide receiving core in the AFC that, that can stack up against it. But this is Cole Beasley. This is like his numbers haven't gotten like considerably better since he came to Buffalo or anything. Like he's had pretty much the same, he's pretty much having the same impact that he used to have, right? Or am I wrong about that? No, they, it's gone up, but I, I just feel like nobody's ever talked about him. Like in Dallas, he was just overshadowed by so much. By by two or three other guys that were there, by Dak, by by uh, Zeke. I think it shows up because he gets he does something that Stefan Diggs doesn't. You know what I mean? Like I was saying that like you need that in that Buffalo Bills thing, but in that Buffalo Bills offense. But you need I think someone who does a similar thing to Stefan Diggs. So you have to worry about that guy. Like an Allen Robertson would be be perfect. Robinson would be perfect. I really don't want him to leave the Bears, but it looks like he will. <laughs> but yeah, he'd be unbelievable there because it's like shit. We got to worry about him and Diggs, and then Beasley's going to beat us underneath 50 times. And yeah, I mean, as a third for sure. But like, I was going to say that before Mike did, he stole my thing. I was like, well, not next year because his leg is fucked. (laughs) Hopefully they keep that team together for two. I don't know. Then the last thing that we'll talk about on this game was this wild series of penalties that took place at the end when we saw it all go off the rails for the Buffalo Bills. And it's interesting because Buffalo always has this air about them, right? Like from their fan base to their team, they always have this kind of gruff, like it Bills Mafia, right? Okay, so the, the name speaks for itself. But at the end of the game, this was the first time all season under Sean McDermott. Like we've seen McDermott kind of lose it, especially against Bill Belichick. This is the first time I've seen his team lose it where Josh Allen gets thrown to the ground. He gets hit, the whistle blows, and then he gets thrown to the ground by Alex Okafor. Josh Allen throws the ball back into Okafor's face. Okafor stands over him. Okafor then gets pushed over by his line, by Allen's lineman, John Feliciano, and another one of his offensive linemen, Deion Dawkins, comes in and has some words to say. And Mike was automatically like, well, that's like 60 yards of penalties <laughs> after an 18-yard sack. And that's exactly what it was. So Mike was pretty spot on. So Allen gets sacked for the 18 yards, and then there's 60 yards of penalties. And he's like, wow, this is going to be like a fourth and 55. No. And I explained this to Mike, and Mike's still like, I just don't get it. Because all the penalties happened afterwards, Josh Allen of the Bills assessed 15 yards for unsportsmanlike conduct. Alex Okafor of the Chiefs, 15 yards for unsportsmanlike conduct. John Feliciano and Deion Dawkins, both 15 yards for a personal foul. It doesn't matter who the majority is, Mike. It's just a matter that both teams were penalized, so everything offsets and it's... That doesn't make because any sense, was, though. That's so stupid. That's like saying, like, you murdered that guy. So are you going to get punished for that? But if you killed seven people after you killed that first guy, you still have to get punished for that too. It's, I think that throughout the NFL, that's wrong. It, they, it should, they should offset with math, not with the idea that a penalty happened. <laughs> if I commit a f- 50 yards worth of penalties and you commit 10, I go back 40 yards. It's really easy. It's really simple. Like, well, I think I, why do we have to make it? It's just... I, I think they do that for competition because then you have a, a third in it. But so I, Dave, you get a free I agree. play. You I get agree. a free hit. Then if you know that there's going to be offsetting penalties coming in, if there's yellow flags fall, flying in from both sides, you should punch somebody in the face because they're going to offset anyway. So it doesn't matter. So on a different in a different way. So if and and this is a very different situation. But if a team jumps off sides, should the offense get a free play or should it get blown dead right there? Free yeah. play. They do get a free play. No, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. That's, a diff- that's different, though. That's one team has committed the penalty. And part of that penalty is that you might risk a free play. But if, if there was encroachment, right, and off at the same time, they would blow the whistle, right? All right, so if there's a there's a 25-yard PI on the defense and there's a 10-yard holding 
on the offense. 15 yards, 15 yard, 15 yard gain. Easy. We're playing cornhole at this point. No, but the idea, but you're saying that the reason why they don't call that like that. Dave, I'm not disagreeing with you. Because both people have committed crimes. There's worse crimes than other crimes. Yeah, but we're talking about football, not crimes. Yeah, but they're crimes of the game. So I'm like, I'm just saying like when you (laughs) go to, when you go, if you go to court, right. And you go, okay, I murdered that guy, but. To be fair, don't implicate my mail before that. It's like, oh, those are offsetting crimes. How are they offsetting crimes? One's more serious than the other. Yeah, but they're both crimes. So they just offset. Yeah, but they're both penalties. But one penalty is more serious than the other. One penalty has more contextual affecting uh, effect affects the game in a more contextual and accurate way. So subtract one yard from the other yard penalty. Doom, boom, done. Call Dean. Call him up. Let him know my new idea. I was just going to say that now Dave is working on two things with Dean uh, right. because of this episode. So uh, Craig, let's make sure we tag him when we release this episode. So basically what Dave's saying is that it should have been a 48 yard loss. Yes. I, for, uh, for the, the math. I mean, I think we're, I think we all agree that like, it doesn't really make that much sense. The math doesn't, re- I mean, quite literally does not add up in this circumstance. Right. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be like a fourth and 55. And then, oh, it was offsetting, which is ridiculous. But there was another thing that we talked about here. And Joe, you had said, if if I saw, if I was Feliciano and I saw Okafor in, in Josh Allen's face, like I, I'd knock him down too. To which I said, well, don't let him get in Josh Allen's face in the fucking first time. Don't let him blow by you. <laughs> Yeah, he's there because you did not do your job. That's it. So it's it's like let, let. to to play devil's advocate on that too is that Okafor was actually the second guy there and got flagged because the the play had been whistled dead and Okafor threw Allen to the ground. So had Okafor just thrown Allen to the ground and Allen not throw the ball back in his face, that's a fifteen yard penalty and automatic first down for the Bills. Yeah, well, that was stupid by Josh Allen, and like he's young. It was all stupid. Oh, yeah. Now, now we're literally just mincing words here. So but penalties, the thing is overall, and like as far as whose fault it is or who screwed up more or whatever, penalties overall as an idea in the sport of football, not in other sports. In other sports, sometimes you want to take take a penalty, take a foul. Yeah, hit that guy. Get, go to the penalty box. That's going to be good for your momentum. Get in a fight, whatever. In football, it costs you yards. And the whole game is yards. Don't do anything stupid. I don't care if you were fired up. I don't care what he did first. If I'm the coach of the team, you get, you're running laps every, you're doing suicides every time you cost us penalty yards. I don't care if it's a false start or it wasn't your fault or whatever. You don't cost us yards. It's too important. So don't screw that shit up. Except in the NFC championship game where it was second and three and the Packers knew that if they jumped offside, it would keep the clock stopped until the next play. And it would keep their timeouts. If they gave the bucks, the first down, but that was that a good rule. penalty. You shouldn't be able to buy yourself timeouts with, with, by breaking the rules of the game. The penalties are there. You should never be able to take a penalty. In order That's to how you feel yourself. about throwing the ball away too, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't think you should be allowed to throw the ball away. I think you should be grounding every time. That's like, it's, don't you hate those plays? It would make it more I, I fun. I do, but wait, wait, wait. All right, I, I gotta. Th- that's a different show, and we're over sixty minutes, and we actually still have like a half hour to go. Can I just make one closing point about this? At Dawkins, Feliciano, if you're mad that Okafor is in Josh Allen's face, like love you, mean Block it. Him. Don't let him get there. Stop him. Do your fucking job. That's it. I hope they all hear this. So. 
Super Bowl 55 will take place in Tampa Bay, Florida, or sorry, Tampa, Florida, not Tampa Bay, because that's Tampa, St. Pete. It'll take place in Tampa, Florida on Sunday, February 7th, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be playing in their home stadium as the away team, Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes. It should be a fun one. Listen to us on Sunday, uh, the 31st of January, as we preview for two hours, Super Bowl 55. Guys, do we want to keep going on to these storylines? Because we have some big stuff to talk about yeah i think we should probably do this on on the two-hour one yeah we should save it we already ate a bunch of their content up i kept talking about the super bowl i couldn't help it (laughs) that's fine we'll still have plenty of content to talk about so so that'll do it for this episode of missing the point it was a good one we only got to half of the stuff we wanted to get to but guys i think we really effectively broke that down so as i just said super bowl 55 coming up on the 7th of february in Tampa, Florida, for Mike Marcangelo, DK, Dave Clark, DK Sizzle, uh, and Craig D'Alessandro, the best EP uh, in the game, except for when he tells us that Patrick Mahomes won't be in the league after 2025. I'm your host, Joe Malkin. And Give myself a lot of wiggle room. That's the trick. Get out of here. We will see you on Sunday for our two-hour live show previewing Super Bowl 55. We'll catch you later. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.